0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good
1: morning, everybody! Great to see you here on uh, yeah this this warm day that we're experiencing, leading into a warm week. Um, what a fitting way, honestly, to start off uh, this morning for us. Um, celebrating celebrating uh, VBS and being able to see all that we did this past week, you know, we have been in this series talking about what it means to be the church from the book of Ephesians. And I think as much as it's great to talk about this, as much as it's great to celebrate it from Scripture, as much as it's great to pray about what it means to be the church, there is nothing like when the church is actually being the church. Right? And we got to see that. We've got to see that over the past several weeks as we've been preparing for VBS, but we got to see it this past week in the VBS event. Let me tell you, I was here for, uh, for a few of the days this past week, and the experience that I had in just being able to see how the church was being the church through VBS was an amazing thing. I'll give you a little bit of an idea. We had uh, about 130 kids. 75% of those were kids that were outside of North Bible Church. So those were community kids, kids outside of our community. So we're talking about the church reaching into the community. That's a metric that we can celebrate because we had an opportunity to really reach families and kids and bring them into our church. We had all kinds of generations of people serving throughout the week. We had middle schoolers and high schoolers on up through all ages of adults serving together in all kinds of various different areas. They were teaching classes. They were up here, like Julie said, leading our uh, rally time. Through song and dance, they were doing text stuff, they were serving food uh, to our kids and volunteers, they were um, doing the administrative stuff, the registration stuff, welcoming people as they came in. I mean, all kinds of different ways in which the body of Christ was active throughout this week, serving in all kinds of different ways. And here's one of the things that I was really surprised and encouraged by. I didn't hear of anybody who complained the entire week and what they were doing. I mean, it was amazing to see the joy with which everybody was serving, and a lot of people put in a ton of hours and a lot of work over this past week to make VBS happen. And uh, I'll I'll tell you this. I promise I'm gonna quit talking about uh, all that we've been through this past year, but I just wanna mention it one more time for this reason, that as I was here this past week, it struck me for the first time in a very long time that um, I didn't think about all that we've lost over this past year by being at VBS, I was thinking about all of the things that God was doing in the midst of that, and, and like COVID and all that other stuff that we've lost was like the furthest thing from my mind throughout that week. And It was such a refreshing thing for me personally, and it struck me that as much as we've been talking about wanting to return to normal and all these kinds of things, is that VBS this past week and the experience was more than just about returning to normal. It was a real sense of what God is doing right now and what God is calling us to do as we move forward. I got a real sense of refreshment from that. And so I hope for those of you who were a part of it, those of you who were serving, again, thank you for your service. Thank you for volunteering. We had people who set up, people who cleaned up the event, all kinds of different people who were a part of this week. Um, a, many of you were praying for us. Thank you for praying for the event as well. You were, you were with us just as much as anybody was serving with us this past week. And guys, uh, I think above all, we gotta be thankful to the Lord for what he did this past week. It was an amazing thing. I see Krista Coe sitting here. I wanna say thank you to Krista. Let's give Krista a hand. All that she did this past week. Paige is over in the preschool area. Can you cheer loud enough so that Paige can hear you all the way over in the preschool area? Uh, and, and all the volunteers. We, we are so thankful for all that you did. There is nothing like, again, it's great to talk about what the church is. It's great to pray about what the church is. and to talk about like the, the idea of what the church is supposed to be. But when you experience being the church, In a way like we did over this past week, there's nothing else like it, and so I'm thankful for that. So again, speaking of what the church is supposed to look like, we are continuing this morning in the book of Ephesians as we continue our series called Being the Church. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 14, and we're going to be in a very unique place in the book this morning. Uh, A place that actually, personally, I really like and I find to be very encouraging. I hope it's encouraging to you as well. But really what we're reading today from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through the end of the chapter through verse 21 is essentially a prayer. It's a prayer that Paul writes for the Ephesian church and then also for us as well. Now, if you've been around for any amount of time here at North, especially during second service, you may recognize actually this passage in particular because we've used it several times as a passage that we have read over our students when we've released them to go onto their student areas because it functions as a prayer. It's an opportunity to to pray and bless our students by reading this prayer over them. It's also in its content, and as we're going to read through this, really this great picture of what we can be praying for and what we should be praying for. It's a great model, in other words, of what it looks like for the spiritual blessings of Christ to become real in our lives. And that's why we would pray something like this for our students. And this is why that has been so important. So this may seem familiar to you. I think this is a prayer, actually, that serves in a way of, you know, as we come to prayers like this, we see things like this in the Psalms, for example, where God gives us a prayer or God gives us a song by his word that he wants us to pray back to him. And so this is almost like a New Testament psalm that we're going through uh, this morning. And so in it we see this model and this picture of what it really looks like to have life in Christ and what the church should be looking like. And so we're going to be reading uh, from Ephesians chapter 14, verses uh, through verse 19 to begin with. Now, I want to say this ahead of time. We're going to be, because this is so thick and there's a lot of good stuff in it, we're going to be referring back to specific verses throughout this message. And so normally, of course, we have, as we do right now, we have the scripture on the screen for you to read. But I would encourage you, if you have a device where you've got the Bible or you have your Bible with you, um, that you open that up because we're going to be referring back to it. And those, that scripture is not always going to be on the screen throughout the message. And so with that being said, let's uh, read from Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 14. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So let's stop there for a minute. And I know I sound like a broken record when I say this, but I want to. Re- I want us to remember that this is part of, of course, a letter that was originally written by the Apostle Paul to the Church in Ephesus in the first century. And so when we read this, we tend to break it up in pieces. But this letter was designed to be read all at once together. And it's important to point out because when we start at the very beginning there, you see in verse 14, it says, for this reason. This is kind of a transitional statement, but it also connects us to what Paul has been saying before. So he says, this is all that's been said, and then for this reason, this is what he is praying for. And what exactly is he talking about when he says, for this reason? What is he pointing back to? Well, he's pointing back to really all that he's talked about from the very beginning of this letter, going all the way back to Ephesians 1. And if you've been with us, that might strike uh, that, might, that might ring a bell for you. It, it, might, it might remind you of a few things, right? He's talked about things like the spiritual blessings that are ours in the heavenly places because of Christ. He's talked about things like this new identity that we have in Christ. He talked about what it means to be connected to this new creation community called the church who live by the eternal will and the promises of God. And in all of this, he's talking about, again, what, it, what the church should look like. And so when he says, for this reason, he is talking about all these things that God has done in Christ that are ours in Christ, and then he gets to this place where he prays, this is, what, this is the impact that I, would, that I would pray to see happen in the church because of all that God has done in Christ. Because we go from this wonderful description of all these great things that are spiritual blessings and the heavenly places and all of that, And Paul brings it to this place of implication. These are the implications that he prays that this would have in our lives. Now, let's be honest a little bit here. I mean, as great as it is to hear all that we've heard in the first few chapters of the book of Ephesians, things like, again, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, and a new identity, and all those kinds of things, you may have found it to this point be a little bit difficult to bring all of this to the ground level. In other words, how do you apply all these huge phrases of what what does it mean to have the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places affecting your life right now? I mean, how does something like that impact your daily life? Maybe you've been kind of wrestling with that question. Maybe you've been challenged with that question throughout this series. The great thing about what this prayer does is it brings those ideas and those realities to the ground level for us. And here's, how it, and here's how Paul does that. It's a way that he kind of structures this that helps us to see what he's, what he's trying to communicate to us. So if you look at this, there are three main things that Paul is praying for. And you can see them in the word that. Where that word that happens throughout this, there's three places where the word that happens. We see it happen in, uh, in verse 16, where he says, that you may be strengthened by his spirit. We see it happen in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And we see it happen in verse 19. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Those three things are mentioned specifically. Here's why that's important to understand. Is that word that introduces what is known as a resultative clause in the language. And so what Paul is doing is he's praying that these things would result from our knowledge and our understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. So these are the three things again. That we may be strengthened by his Spirit, that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, that still may seem a little bit abstract, right? I mean, how do we get strengthened by the Spirit? Uh, What does it mean that Christ dwells in our hearts? And what does it look like for us to be filled with the fullness of God? I mean, those are some big questions. I think, fortunately, Paul answers these questions for us. First thing we need to understand is that these three things actually build upon each other. They're related to one another. So when Paul starts with being strengthened with the Spirit, what he's saying is that when the Holy Spirit does his work in our lives, the result of this thing is understanding uh, the reality that Christ does dwell in our hearts. And as a result of us experiencing Christ dwelling in our hearts, we are filled with the fullness of God. These three things are connected. Now, here's what these look like individually. First, let's talk about the strengthening of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No, the power of the Spirit is not just the Spirit. When we talk about the power of the Spirit and Paul's talking about the strengthening of the Spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit just being some impersonal force that kind of makes us stronger versions of ourselves. It's not like the Holy Spirit strengthens us and makes us superhero versions of ourselves. The power of the Spirit that he's actually referring to is rooted in the self-giving love of God. And really the power that Paul is talking about is the vitality that comes with what the Spirit does to awaken us to communion and relationship with God, to give us new life. And so if you think about it this way, think about the times that we see the Holy Spirit acting in Scripture. From the very beginning, in creation, what we see the Spirit doing is giving life to creation. And throughout the, and throughout Scripture, when we see the Holy Spirit working, He is typically giving either life to something that is dead or life to something that is spiritually dead and bringing new life to that dead thing. So God's Spirit... In creation gives life to creation uh, in the new in the New Testament what we see is that in the new creation he makes spiritually dead people born again and eternally alive he is the spirit in the Old Testament like we see him acting in in, in, in a bunch of different ways but one of the ways that we see him acting one of the most kind of memorable ways is in Ezekiel's vision Remember, Ezekiel has a vision of the valley of the dry bones, and it's the Holy Spirit who comes and gives life to those dry bones, creating an army out of a bunch of dry bones on the desert ground. And so when Paul talks here about being strengthened in power by the Spirit, he's talking first and foremost about being more fully alive, spiritually vital and alive through communion with God, which brings us to the second piece there, Christ dwelling in our hearts. You know, to this point in Ephesians, and we've talked a lot about this, but Paul talks a lot about us being in Christ. In fact, a few weeks ago, we talked about the central understanding of what it means for us to be Christians is to be in Christ. Because Paul loves to use that phrase, not only in Ephesians, but in a lot of other places in the New Testament. Now, notice what this says here. Here, the same idea is expressed, but it's expressed a little bit differently. This time, Paul says that Christ dwells in us, that is, in our hearts by faith in our hearts by faith. Now, here's the significance of this. Really what what he's doing is giving us an understanding of the mutuality of our relationship with Jesus. That not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us as well. That there's this deep communion and that's the goal of salvation. Deep mutual relationship that happens between us and Christ as he dwells in our hearts. And so it's not all one-sided in the sense that it's just Our desire to be with Jesus, but it's Jesus' desire to actually dwell with us as well. And Paul is praying that we would know that and we would chase after that reality with our lives. And then third, as a result, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Now, the fullness of God is a big thing. It's one of those ideas that's probably beyond full comprehension, as Paul expresses it here. But But I think if we're to express what this means, it has to do again with all these spiritual blessings, certainly, right? All Jesus has won for us salvation, new life, reconciliation, eternal life, new creation, all of that is involved here, the fullness of God. Above all, though, this is a statement of relationship, right? What is the fullness of God? That as wonderful as all those other blessings are, and they certainly are wonderful, simply put, being filled with the fullness of God is being able to fully relate to God in relationship. It builds on the idea of the first and second pieces being strengthened by the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts, and then as a result we experience this fullness of communion with God ongoing in our lives. It's the goal of our salvation. So, Let's regroup here for a minute, because I think that in a lot of ways what we just talked about is some seriously deep and maybe even potentially confusing stuff, right? Paul's prayer here, again, just to put it simply, is that for this reason, for all that God has done, his prayer is that we would see it beyond just an announcement of what God has done, but that we would experience this in our lives as a day-to-day reality, the natural question then is how. How does this work in such a way that we actually get it and receive it? I think the immediate context is helpful as a start to answer that question of how this happens in our lives. Paul says that it's through being rooted and grounded in love. If you notice there uh, in, verse, in verse 17, he says rooted and grounded in love. Another way that might be translated is to be established and to be rooted in love. Specifically, the love of God that we have seen in Jesus Christ. And I think this is a large part of an application of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 3. How do we know that we are being strengthened by the Holy Spirit? We are more deeply rooted and grounded in the love of God. Look, I think we really need to clarify something here. Being rooted and grounded in the love of God is knowing that our faith, that our relationship with God is rooted and grounded in one thing primarily. And it's just this thing, how much God loves us. This is the central aspect of our faith being strengthened, is being able to answer this question, how much does God love you, and how do you know that God loves you that much? This ties back again to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Again, the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force that we kind of manipulate to make us stronger. He is a person. He is the very person of God in us. So just like any other personal relationship, our relationship with the Spirit is bonded relationally to him, and his desire is to meet with us and to bond with us in that way. I point that out because I think we often miss that about the Holy Spirit, right? It's easier for us to, In this this passage right here, this prayer, Paul does a great job of being Trinitarian in this prayer. He talks about the Father in the very first verse. Of course, he talks about Christ, and when it comes to relationship, it's a lot easier for us probably to understand what it means to relate to God, who is like a father, right? That's a relational term that connects us to understanding what it means to relate to God the Father. We think about Jesus, we know that Jesus is God in the flesh, he is a human being, it's, it's, it's easier for us to understand what it means to relate to Jesus, but then when we think about the Holy Spirit, it's like the Holy Spirit is kind of out there mysteriously working as sometimes we consider as an impersonal force and we're not really sure exactly how to engage personally with the person of the Holy Spirit. But well, Paul's drawing us back to the fact that what the person of the Spirit does in us is unite us with commun- in communion with God. And when we think about it that way, I think it makes sense that Paul is praying that we would be strengthened by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who grounds us and roots us in the love of God. I mean, think about that language for a minute about rooting and grounding in the love of God, right? It certainly has kind of that plant imagery, like a tree being planted in soil, and, 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 of course, what we know is that uh, in order for a tree to be healthy, a tree's got to be planted in good soil. And Paul says the best soil is comprehending this, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit does, that he roots us there so that we draw real life and confidence from the unfailing love of God. That's the good soil that feeds the roots of the tree. That's the start and that's the solution. That's where our faith starts, right? Not how much we've loved God, but how much God has loved us first. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 John says this, "In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins." That even before we had a thought to love God, he loved us first. And he loved us to such a degree that the depth of his love is seen in his son being a propitiation, an atonement, and a sacrifice that would bring us back to God. Now, if you're a Christian, of course, you believe that. That's core to the gospel that we believe. But notice that what Paul is doing in this case is he is praying for those who are already Christians. He's saying that this is where our faith starts, but notice that in order to be strengthened in our faith, this is still the place that you come back to over and over and over again. The unfailing love of God, knowing that you are completely loved by God in Christ. Now here's the interesting part about all this. You know, we've heard the message, of course, before about God's love. We talk about it all the time in church. For many of us, the first Bible verse we ever heard or memorized was John 3.16 for God so loved the world. and In other words, this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. And it all seems so basic many times when we talk about God's love. And And it is, on the one hand, it is really basic. It's so basic that a young child can understand that God loves them. But at the same time, it is so deep and so wide and so high and so long that even the most mature Christian can never fully get to the end of comprehending the fullness of God's love. In fact, we spend our lives as Christians really trying to make this one thing real in our lives that everything else comes from, according to Paul. Knowing and comprehending just how much God really loves us. And from the first time that we hear it and understand that God loves us, and then continuing to be rooted and grounded in that same soil, Spiritual growth and maturity looks like these roots just growing deeper and deeper into the same soil of the love of Jesus. In other words, when we grow spiritually, we don't get replanted into something else, some other higher understanding of theology, that it stays right here, and that the growth and the source of our our maturity in Christ comes right from this same place. The same soil it starts in is the same soil it comes back to, the very love of God in Christ. In fact, I think in many ways, you know that someone is growing in maturity when they grow more and more amazed by the love of God. Another way of putting this is really how Paul puts it here. You know that someone is really filled with the fullness of God's Spirit when they are genuinely amazed by the love of God. Genuinely amazed by the love of God. That person is strong because they are supported and established and rooted in a soil that never dies. It'll hold and it will hold them through the storms and the monsoons of life because it holds their life, their identity, their future hope all together in the depth of the love of God. I think uh, this is important for us to remember because if we think about as Christians what it means for us to grow and to be mature, I think we should all have that, by the way, in our minds. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? The New Testament is talking about that over and over again. As we talked about earlier, the New Testament is largely about reminding us who we are in Christ and challenging us to grow in who we already are in Christ. And so we should have an idea of what it looks like to be a spiritually mature Christian because the Bible tells us over and over again what this looks like. And we have, and we have all kinds of different ways of marking our own spiritual maturity and maybe even the spiritual maturity in others. We may think that people who are spiritually mature are those people who... Maybe have titles and positions in the church. Maybe they're the people who lead in the church. Maybe those are the mature people. Uh, Maybe they are people who know a lot of Bible. They can spout out all kinds of Bible at a moment's notice. They've memorized huge chunks of Scripture. They can teach Scripture really well. Maybe they're people who read their Bibles or pray a lot. They're the people who their devotional life is solid. They never miss a quiet time in the morning with God. Maybe they are the people who serve. Maybe they're the people who have been Christians a long time. Maybe they're even the people who display an obvious and powerful use of spiritual gifts in the church. right? And I'm not saying that all of those, that, that, that those people aren't mature or faithful Christians. In many cases, they are. But according to Paul here in Ephesians 3, nothing marks a healthy and mature Christian more than a Christian who deeply understands the love of God, how much they are loved by God. 1 Corinthians 13, of course the love chapter, verse 1 says this, Paul says, "If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing." Now the person who is tempted to leave behind the love of God as something just basic and trivial something that they understood at one time, but moving on to greater and better, more theological, theologically deep things is kind of like a person who's looking at a windshield while they're driving rather than looking through the windshield while they're driving. They're completely missing the point of the gospel. At the same time, a person who is being strengthened by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit is a person who deeply ab- desires to abide in the love of God and not to replant themselves into something else, but to be completely content with knowing how much they are loved by God, and to feeding deep roots into that understanding, which takes a lifetime to know. All of which brings us back to this question of how. How is it that we grow into a deeper comprehension of the love of Christ? Right. It's clear that at this point that Paul's saying the key to all this, where he's driving us to, is comprehending the width, the depth, the height of the love of God. But how do we know this? Well, Paul says we know this by knowing the love of Christ in a way that surpasses knowledge. Which is a strange way when you think of, which is a strange way to put it when you think about it, right? How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Paul's basically saying, look, this is something you need to know that you cannot know in, in some ways, right? Or that surpasses some kind of knowledge. I think what Paul's doing is using a bit of hyperbole to drive us to this point here is that the knowledge of the love of God transcends the way that we typically think about knowledge, right? Which is typically intellectual knowledge. Typically just the knowledge of things that we believe and things that we know. Now, look, intellectual knowledge, loving God with our mind is critically important, right? The way that we can explain the love of God in Jesus is real and important and tangible. I mean, here's just a few things we can say about the love of God as we look at Scripture, God loved us when he created us. God loved us when he became like us. God loved us when he gave his son for us. God loved us when he went to the cross for us. God loved us when he made us new creations in Christ. God loved us when he brought us into his family. God loved us when he promised that he would return for us. And God loved us when he gave us his church, and God loved us when he gave us his spirit. And we could go on and on, probably adding things to that list all day long. These are the ways that we know that God has loved us. but Remember, Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and strength, right? And this is kind of loving God with our mind. When we understand what God has done for us, this is how we kind of understand uh, what's true, what's right, what we believe, right? All these things are loving God with our mind. But at the same time, we are encouraged to love God with our heart and our soul and our strength. So how can we know these things as beliefs and facts, but then have them hit us in a way that really changes us? This is what Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit does in us. Uh, Oswald Chambers, from his classic devotional, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, says this about the Holy Spirit's work in us, by the way. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes everything that Jesus did for you real in your life. I think this is in large part what Paul is doing with this prayer. All this stuff that Jesus has done for us in his work, in the gospel, for our salvation, this is how it's made real in our lives. And to use that often used phrase, this is where it gets from the head, from our heads into our hearts. Both knowledge and then the knowledge that surpasses knowledge. I think this is the kind of knowledge that is actually life-changing, and we see it in the way actually it's modeled for us in this prayer in a few different ways. And I want to give you ways that I see that in in, in how Paul describes this um, in his prayer. We're talking about knowledge that kind of goes beyond just belief in certain things about what we know, about what God has done for us. There's all kinds of other knowledge that we experience as well. First of all, what we see Paul emulating for us and representing is what we might call worship knowledge. This prayer, as we said earlier, is essentially like a New Testament psalm. The whole thing is worship from Paul. Paul begins in the very first verse to talk about bending his knee, bending his knees to God in prayer but also in this aspect of worship. Now worship itself, the heart of worship is a response in gratitude to who God is and what God has done. And this is if you take this for what it is, this whole section of Ephesians, that's what this is all about. Paul's Paul's response in gratitude to to who God is and what God has done. And he's trying to draw the Ephesians into the same kind of worshipful approach. When Paul says, I bow my knees, but then at the end talks about, and we're gonna read in in the last couple verses here, in verses 20 and 21, how there's this this doxology that Paul writes, this, this, this aspect of Paul just praising God at the end for what he has done. We see how worship there's this call to worship throughout this entire section. And so genuine worship, along with prayer, is more than anything, I would say, the activity of a person who understands the love of God. Because worship displays dependence, so it displays dependence upon the love of God, that soil that roots us so deep. It, dis- it displays gratitude. It displays gratitude of receiving God's love, which then motivates the goal of genuine worship, which is to dwell with God which is to be with God in the presence of God through worship. And we hear a lot about worship, when we talk about worship. You may have heard before that anything we do can be worship. And I think it's true that our whole lives can be worship, but I think we need to be careful with the language that we use in some ways because just by doing something or doing anything doesn't mean we're automatically worshiping. Because the word worship comes from an old English word, which means, uh, which uh, old English word, worth which means ascribing worth to something. So true worship expresses how worthy the object of worship really is. And so when it comes to God, worship for us is an expression of how much we believe that God is worth. Now you can do that with all kinds of aspects of your life. You don't have to do that with just singing and gathering for worship and teaching the Bible and those kinds of things and listening to scripture. But at the same time, what we need to realize is that worship is a choice. It's a deliberate action and it's a decision that we make. We aren't worshiping by just attending a worship service, per se. You can come to a worship service and actually not worship God at all. It's possible to come and just kind of say hi to your friends and enjoy the music and maybe even sing the words without even deciding to worship at any point during your time in a worship service. You can listen to scripture, you can listen to teaching, and without even engaging in it and without even thinking about how it draws you into worship, hear it all and Leave without even worshiping. Worship is a decision. Worship is a choice that we make. And as Paul is talking about, a worship should move us in this way. It should move something deep inside of us. And one of the things you see, I think, in this prayer is the emotion that comes out with Paul. There's hyperbole in this because he's so charged up about it. He's so emotional. We need to know the knowledge that surpasses the knowledge that we have. He's encouraging us to be fully engaged as worshipers. And so there's an aspect of knowledge that we have just in worshiping that draws us closer to understanding the love of God. Secondly, what we see here is what we might call relational knowledge. In verses 14 and 15, Paul uses these familiar phrases of God the Father. It's a relational term. And then he talks about the family of God, which is also a relational term. Again, since the Holy Spirit is a person, relational knowledge is a lot like uh, our, our relational knowledge with the Spirit is a lot like kind of a relational knowledge with a close friend, or uh, maybe even a spouse. Right? If you think about it this way, there are there's a relational knowledge that goes on in the close relationships that you have that goes beyond the ability to even describe it. In other words, you can explain some of your close relationships to other people. Like, let's take a marriage for example. If you were trying to help someone understand your marriage, you can explain to someone. That you're married, uh, uh, Some things about your marriage relationship. Descriptions like um, how long it's been that you've been married. Uh, how, how and when you met your spouse. How many kids you have. You could even get more personal in talking about your marriage. You could talk about, uh, this is what I love about my spouse. This is what's great about our marriage. Right. These are the things that we struggle with in our marriage. You might even list some milestone events that have happened in your marriage. And if you're talking to somebody else who's married, they may have the joint experience of understanding what marriage is all about. And you can talk about and explain all these great things about your marriage, and that person can listen to you all day, and you can explain everything that you can think to talk about about your marriage and your spouse. But no matter how long you talked about your marriage and how much the other person was able to relate to you and to listen to you well, there would still always be a certain amount of knowledge about your relationship that could only exist between you and your spouse. It's that stuff that kind of goes beyond being able to explain. It's the relational connection that's a knowledge that you and your spouse alone share. And it's deeper than words can even explain and express. And that is personal relational knowledge that no one else can know outside of that relationship. And I think this is a lot like what relational knowledge of the love of God looks like as well. It can be explained and it can be understood, but, compre- but but it's to be understood and comprehended in the context of relationship with God through his spirit dwelling in us. And that relational knowledge is of a different quality than just being able to explain it through words. Verse 16, Paul talks about what we might call then equipping knowledge. And verse 16 is all about the Holy Spirit strengthening us. And I use the word equipping because next week we're gonna talk in Ephesians 4. Paul uses that word about how the spirit equips us for the works of the church. And when you think back to Ephesians 2, we're told that there are works that God has prepared for us to walk in beforehand. This is the equipping knowledge, that when the Spirit works to strengthen us, He gives us power and makes us more alive, so that we are alive to the calling and the purposes of God, so that we serve out in the world and in the church in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus as part of the body of Christ. Right? The Spirit equips us in a way that we learn knowledge of understanding what it means to be equipped for good works that God has prepared us for. In verse 17, what we might call experiential knowledge, Paul refers to here. Like this is, You think about how this is being described, right? The dwelling of Christ in our hearts. This is all about experiencing life with God, being strengthened by the Spirit of God and Christ, dwelling with us in our hearts. And I I think when you think about the magnitude of what this means and what this is picturing for us, man, the experience has to follow. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe is dwelling in your heart by his spirit. There ought to be an experience that comes out of that. I mean, how can there not be an experience that comes out of that? If that's really true, and if that really happens as a born-again Christian, there has to be an experience that comes out of that. That has to change our lives. And I think when we think about our real life experiences in terms of the ups and downs that we go through in life, right the joys of life, the struggles and sufferings of life, what we realize is that as Christ dwells in us by His Spirit, that we are never alone in those things. We are experiencing those things in life, ups and downs, joys, struggles, and everything in between, with a person of Christ dwelling in us by His Spirit. And so there's experiential knowledge that goes on. To take it back to a human relational level, there are things that we learn about close friends and spouses when we go through certain experiences in life with them that we wouldn't learn in any other way. And when Paul's talking about what it means for us to dwell with Christ, this is experiential knowledge that we have of who Jesus is that roots us deeper in the love of Christ. And then finally, verse 18, we get what we might call communal knowledge. Now Paul reminds us here, as he talks about what it means for us to understand, all the, the, to comprehend the depth of the love of Christ, the width of the love of Christ, the height of the love of Christ, the breadth of the love of Christ, all those dimensions of the, the love of Christ. He talks about that we are doing this within the company of the saints, together with all the saints. And he brings back to the, this kind of central nature of the church as God's design and God's plan. Because the church is God's idea in the end, right? It is the, it, it, the church was created to glorify Jesus as the body and the family and the temple of Christ. As we've said already, if you are in Christ, you are in the community of, uh, of the church, whether you choose to engage and participate in a local church or not. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of your identity in Jesus. And a huge part of what it means to know the love of Christ comes from being a part of the body of Christ in community. Because it's in community where we often see the tangible love of God demonstrated among us and towards one another. You know There are nearly 60 one another commands in the New Testament. And those one another commands are in many cases designed to display the love of Christ in a real and tangible way towards one another and within the church. It's communal knowledge of the love of God. You know, in the verses that we talked about, First John 4, 10 earlier, about how God loves us first. and the verses that follow that, in verses 11 and 12, John says this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Saying essentially, like none of us have seen God, but at the same time, what God does is make his love tangible through the church. That when we are, when we love one another, when we display love within the community of the church, we actually see the tangible love of God, even though we can't see God Himself. That's how God has chosen to make this known. And I'm sure that for all of us who love to be in the church, one of the things we love is that we get an opportunity to see Jesus in one another. And this is more this is demonstrated right through the way that we love one another in Christ. This is why church involvement, I think, is not something that you just kind of take or leave, depending on whether or not. It feels good for you or not. If you're not involved in church, you're missing out on something that is profound in terms of what it means to understand the love of God. I understand the church doesn't always feel that way, right? It doesn't always feel like the most loving place. Sometimes we get it wrong more than we get it right. But at the same time, even when the church doesn't get it right, it is still God's chosen way of displaying what his love looks like in community. It's together with all the saints. It's together with all the saints that we understand the depth of the tangible love of God. Nothing else can replace that, and there's no substitute for it. I think in the end, as we bring this all to an end, the most life-changing knowledge that you can still have, or that you can have, is still right out of a place like John 3.16. God so loves you. God loves you so much that he has done this for you. And I think in all the Bible that I've learned and all the theology that I've personally studied, I continue to come back to this fact over and over again, that there is nothing more important to know than that. Yes, it is as basic as a little child. It's so basic that a little child can understand it. But it's so deep and profound that we will also spend eternity comprehending how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love really is. We'll spend a thousand lifetimes in eternity learning even more about it. You know, we're told that when we see Jesus again, we will be like him. And you may have heard it said that when we see Jesus again, a lot of those questions that we have about like theology and life and philosophy, like how does a good God allow evil into the world? Or, you know, what are the end times going to look like? All those questions will either be answered, or I think in many cases, they just won't be important to us anymore. But I will say there is one thing that we will continue to learn about for eternity, and that's the love of Christ. It's one thing, and it's the one thing that will continue to be, as Paul says, a mystery, being revealed day to day for eternity. And I think really when you think about it, that's the best kind of love. The kind of love that's inexhaustible, and that's new every day. A kind of love that's never finished loving, and that's the love of Christ that Paul is celebrating here. The love that surpasses all knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But again, love never ends. So I mentioned the last part of this chapter, uh, verses 20 and 21. They're in the form of a doxology from Paul. In case that word's not familiar, a doxology is essentially just a statement of praise to God. The word doxology comes from a Greek word that means glory, so it means just giving glory to God and celebrating God for who He is and what He has done. And I think it's appropriate, after all that we have talked about today, after all that we've talked about in terms of this great understanding of the love of God, um, that we respond just by reading these verses together as an act of worship, as an act of response today. And so um, you know, like I said before, we have read these verses when we've kind of dismissed our students to go on to their student areas and those kinds of things, student classes. Um, and so we're familiar probably with this, and we're familiar with reading this out loud. But what I want this to be is that I want this to allow, we said earlier that worship is a choice, it's a decision that you make. I want to encourage you to allow this to be your worshipful response. Allow it to be filled with meaning and with gratitude and with emotion. We're gonna read this out loud together. I'm gonna to read it really slow. So be prepared for that so we can kind of take these words in and let them just wash over us. But I want to encourage you to stand. You stand with me. We're going to read God's word together from Ephesians 20, uh, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the amazing love that you display throughout Scripture that we know about, that we believe as Christians, that has drawn us to understanding who you are. But Lord, we are struck again. And may you strike us again with the amazing depth of your love, the unsearchable fullness of what it means to be loved by you. I'm convinced that in so many ways, Lord, all of, a lot of our questions, a lot of our struggles, a lot of our insecurities and inadequacies come from forgetting how much we are truly loved by you in Christ. And so I pray for, that every, for every person here, uh, Lord, that uh, you would ignite in our spirits by your spirit a desire to grow our roots deeper into that same familiar soil. But that soil wouldn't become too familiar, that it would uh, be average or ordinary, but that we would truly be amazed each day and each time we think about it by the depth of your love for us, by how truly amazing it is. Lord, it is easy for us to forget I thank you for your word, for your scripture that reminds us of the things that we need to know and the things that encourage our souls. And I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, knowing how much you love us and being able to rest in that. As we sang earlier, we are are not gonna be loved any more than we are right now because you love us fully and completely to the end. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like someone to pray with as we uh, close service uh, today, we have our prayer partners located to the right-hand side of me over here uh, in front of the cross. If you would like uh, anyone to pray with uh, to encourage you this morning, they'll be here. Uh, to pray with you. We also have prayer cards that um, are available for you to fill out if you have any other prayer needs that you would like us to be praying for. We take those prayer cards every week. We pray for them as a staff. We pray for them as a prayer team. We pray over them as an elder team as well. And so if you have anything that you would like us to be praying about, including things that are going on in your family, whatever it may be, we consider it a privilege to join with you in prayer. So if you would fill out one of those cards, again, drop it in the uh, offering stands as you leave here this morning. We'll make sure that gets to the right place. So... uh, have a good week. Stay cool out there. I don't know if you've seen the forecast but it's coming. It's summer here in Scottsdale and so uh, stay cool. Have a great week. Be blessed. Be reminded this week of the love of God that in every way uh, He is with you. He dwells within you and He uh, is is, is loving you through all that you are experiencing and going through the ups and downs in life. So be blessed and be encouraged this week. We love you guys. Have a great week.